If you're joining us online, thanks so much for sticking in with us. If you were to ask me, when is the one time that I would love to preach, it would be after everybody had done a 15-minute survey. I can sense no easier way to get your attention back than after having filled out questions about whether or not you even like the preaching. And you're like, oh, I'll fill that out whilst you preach, Michael. Praise God for that. Hey, a couple of things real quick before we get started today. Number one, um, in coming weeks, we're, we're so blessed that our community here on Sunday morning is growing. So at latest by Easter, we'll be back to an 8 a.m. and 10 a.m. service, if not a bit before that as well. So stay tuned to our emails and socials about when we'll be moving back from a 9 a.m. to an 8 a.m. and 10 a.m. service. It is not next week, but it may be in coming weeks as well. Secondly, when I said to the team, hey, how long do I have to preach this morning after a 15-minute survey? They said to me, you have 40 minutes. Who's excited? Come on, if you're online, why don't you type a smiley face? I have like 15 at best. So we've got a lot to get through, short time to do it. And I pray that God livens your souls. I'll preach as fast as you say, amen, amen. Amen. Come on, let's pray. Gracious God, I thank you so much that we, the people of God, get to come together. That Lord, we we, we do these surveys, not because, Father, we're, we're trying to win an exam, but because we want to improve what we're doing for your glory. That we actually want to hear and know, Father, how we might be able to be a church more faithful and obedient to the call of God. So pray your blessing upon every person who labored with us over the last 15 minutes. But God, we still our hearts. More than feedback from surveys, we need the Holy Spirit. We need to sound your truth. So speak, Lord. Your servants are listening. Less of me, more of you, we pray. In Jesus' name, the body of Christ said, Amen. Amen. Cool. We should do surveys more often. I've never had this much excitement in church. This is great. It's like preaching is, you know, chalk and cheese compared to what you just said. Anyway, moving right along. This morning, I want to talk about what it means to be the people of faith. I want to start with a really simple question. When was the last time you took a leap of faith? When was the last time you took a leap of faith? Well, Michael was this morning, and you made me do a survey, so I'm never taking a leap of faith ever again. I just rocked up to church. When was the last time you took a leap of faith? For a guy named Luke Akins, for, oops, sorry, for a guy named Luke Akins, in 2016, he decided that he wanted to try to be the first person to skydive from 25,000 feet without a parachute. In 2016, Luke Akins jumped out of a plane at 25,000 feet. Now, you might be saying, well, clearly someone's going to give him a parachute halfway down. No, no, no. Luke wanted to fall the whole way and aim for a net. That the only way he would break his fall was by a 20-meter high net above the ground. And Luke, in 2016, jumped out of a plane. He has a wife and a four-year-old child, and he did it boldly, friends. Now, when I was, if I was to ask you, how would you describe Luke's faith? What would you say? In fact, if you're online, why don't you type in, how would you describe Luke's faith? Crazy? Foolhardy? Stupid? Unwise? As Luke landed successfully into the net, completing what had never been done before, and the world goes, this was a miracle. Luke goes, no, I knew what would happen because I had prepared. I knew what would happen because I had prepared. You see, this was Luke's 18,000th jump. He was a professional skydiver. 
He'd done this time and time again with parachutes. In fact, in lead up to this moment, he jumped over 12 times, falling as far as he could, aiming at the net, and only at the last possible moment, opening the parachute and landing in the net. He didn't do this without understanding the risk, nor understanding what it would take. When asked what it meant for him to do this successfully, Luke said, whenever people attempt to push the limit of what's considered humanly possible, they're invariably described as crazy. I'm here to show you that if we approach it the right way and we test it and we prove that it's good to go, we can do things that we don't think are possible. Friends, why do I say this? Because we look at Luke Egan and we go, he's crazy, but he says, I'm not crazy. You only think I'm crazy because you don't know what I know. You don't understand what I understand. His faith seems ridiculous until this moment. The reason why I say that, friends, is I think so often that's how the world might see Christians. People who have faith in an unseen God that to much of the world is unproven, we can seem crazy. We might seem ridiculous. But today I want to talk to you about faith and we want to spend the next five weeks in the lead up to Easter talking about what does it mean to have faith? Because I don't believe having faith in God is about being crazy. It's about knowing something the world doesn't yet know. It's about knowing something's been proven throughout history that we hope is proven through the way we live our lives. See, I believed here at New Life, we are called to be a people of faith. A people who the world might look at and say that's crazy until what was once deemed impossible is made possible by the grace of God and the power of the Holy Spirit. Friends, faith is more than just the crossing of fingers and hoping you hit a net. Faith is more than just this idea of passively agreeing with a supernatural idea. What do you have faith in today? Now, you might be sitting here and you might say, Oh, Michael, I'm not a person of faith. One of the smartest people in the world, John Lennox, a professor of mathematics at Oxford, argues that everyone has faith because faith isn't a religious word. Faith is actually a Latin word that comes from the word fide. And fide literally means to trust or rely on something. Friends, you came here in a car that you have faith in. The only reason why you thought the car might make it here today was because it made it somewhere yesterday. But there's no complete guarantee every time you hop in your car, you'll make it to your journey. We all have faith in something. You might have faith in science, in humanity, in secularism. In secularism. But many of us here today claim that we have faith in God. It's not if you have faith, it is where is your faith. So if I was going to ask you a question today, it would be this. How would you describe your faith? I have an active faith. I have a strong faith. Thanks, Di Tuppen. I have a dead faith. I have an absent faith. I have a weary faith. I have a dynamic faith. Here at New Life, we put a descriptor into the, in front of the kind of faith we want to have. One of our six values here at New Life is that we will be a people of adventurous faith. When was the last time your active trust in God looked adventurous. Let me say it again. When was the last time your active trust in God looked adventurous? Well, Michael, what, what, is, what does faith mean? I, I, this seems nebulous. 
The writer of Hebrews helps us out in Hebrews chapter 11, verse 1. He's writing to the Hebrew people, reminding them of what it means to have faith. He said, this is what faith is. Now, faith is the assurance of things hoped for and the confidence in things not yet seen. Now, what's he saying here? He's saying faith is not the crossing of the fingers. Faith is not going, boy, I hope I hit the net. Faith is not going, I hope God rocks up, but I don't know if he will. Faith is assurance and conviction. It is not wishful thinking, friends. But how often do we talk about faith in God as if it's wishful thinking? How often do we rock up and go, do you have faith? Like, yeah, I have faith, but... Friends, do you have assurance and conviction that God is who he says he is? That God will do what he says he's going to do? That the one we serve is faithful? Now, when we actually ask, well, what does assurance and conviction look like? The writer of Hebrews helps us out. And in Hebrews chapter 11, if you've never read it, you've got to go read this story. It's a beautiful chapter because what he, he expands on the narrative of faith. And he goes, you want to know what it means to have assurance and conviction? Let me tell you what it means. Let me tell you what it means. How? By telling you of the people of old who received their commendation for their faith. He then launches into one of the greatest chapters in the Bible where he says, By faith, Enoch walked with God. By faith, Noah responded to God and built the ark. And by faith, a man named Abraham, or in the Old Testament, first known as Abram. By faith, Abraham obeyed when he was called to go out to a place that he was to receive as an inheritance. And he went out not knowing where he was going. We're going to spend some time over the next five weeks, learning about what faith looks like through the story of a man called Abraham. In fact, last year we started with Genesis part one, which was chapter one to 11. This year we're going to Genesis part two, which is the story of Abraham and his children. Why? Because I believe God is calling us not to be a people who cross their fingers, but stand firm on the faith we have in the Lord Jesus Christ. Friends, I do not believe that faith is passive belief. Too many Christians say they have faith in God But what they mean is, I believe in the idea of God. James reprimands us for this kind of faith. And he says, you say you believe in God? Good on you. Even demons say they believe in God. And they shudder more than you do when they think of him. Faith is not crossing belief. Faith is not passive belief. Faith is always demonstrated by what? When the writer of Hebrews tells us about Abraham, does he say, by faith, Abraham hoped? No, no, no. By faith, Abraham hoped obeyed. Faith, primarily, friends, is an action. Faith is active belief. See, if Luke Aikens had been like, I have faith in the net to catch me from 25,000 feet, and you're like, go on, jump. You won't. And he's like, no, you're right. I won't. Because, you know, who knows what could go wrong, but I have faith it could, but in theory, I'm just not going to... You go, you don't have faith. You understand the idea. You don't have faith. Faith is not about just understanding how something works. Faith is actually putting everything behind the belief and jumping out of the plane, knowing that what you've done and what you've seen means that net will catch you when you fall. This is what it means to have faith in God. Faith, friends, is when we act in a way that is more dependent on the character of God than the limitations of man. Faith is when we act in a way that is more dependent on God than the limitations of man. Why is this important? Because we live in a world of broken promises. We live in a world where politicians fail us, where humans fail us, where pastors fail us, 
They say, come to church, and they give you a survey instead of a sermon. Some of you are like, I've got faith issues right now. We live in a world where, where we struggle to trust. And so when we say, put your active trust in God, we think of all the Christians that can justify why we shouldn't. But faith is not trusting the character of man, but trusting the character of God. And to unpack this, we're going to step into the story of Abraham in Genesis chapter 12. Next week, Fiona is going to talk and, and lead us forward. But for a moment, I just want to give us a brief introduction to the life of Abraham through Genesis chapter 12, verse 1 to 4. Now, to do that, I actually have to confess, I can't do it without recognizing we never read the Bible in a vacuum. Whenever we step into a text of the Bible, the fastest way to misunderstand the Bible is to think that a text operates on its own without any other reference points. But the Bible is always, always, always in a story, in a history, in a time. So to understand Genesis 12, I just, I'm going to give you, I've got like a minute to do this, to give you the quickest summation of Genesis 1 to 11, because you can't understand 12 unless you've understood the first, but you will have already known where we've been. Genesis chapter 1 begins with a beautiful story of God creating the heavens and the earth. Why did he create the heavens and the earth? Because out of his selfless generosity, he created something to be a blessing. But he didn't only create something to be a blessing, he created people to bless. Images of God in Genesis chapter 2. He created that they might be blessed by creation and that they might bless creation. Friends, did you know that you were created to enjoy what God has created? To not only be blessed by it, but to take care of it and bless it and be a blessing to the world around us. But we didn't want to be a blessing to God's creation. We were more focused on what we could get and consume from it. And so in Genesis 3, we know the heart turns in on itself. And we read about the coming of the marring of the image of God, the fragmentation of creation as selfishness and sin breeds into the world, and humanity created to bless seeks instead to take. And what we see in Ukraine, what we see in the world, what I see in my own heart is what the Christian would call sin, selfishness at its finest. So how does God respond? Well, first, before God steps in and acts, he promises to always take care of humanity. But we see it get worse with Cain and Abel dividing and experiencing the tragedy of murder. And as the world descends into anarchy and chaos, God says, I've got to do something. And through the line of Noah says, I will create again. I will start over and I will bless humanity, give them a second chance to get things right. But even though Noah was faithful, his descendants were not. And they end up being told, go spread over the world and bless the whole world. But in Genesis chapter 11, humanity once again hears what God has said and says, instead of doing what you've said, we want to build a kingdom for ourselves. And in Genesis chapter 11, they build something called the Tower of Babel to make a name great for themselves. They turn from God and focus on themselves. So God, instead of looking at humanity, pines and looks across the earth for a way to renew, for a way to redeem. See, God's mission has never changed. He's always wanting to bring redemption and blessing to the world. And he's looking for a people who will partner with him to do it. And so we step into Genesis chapter 12. Well, we follow the line of Adam to Noah all the way down to Shem, who then's line births a man named Abram. And in chapter 12, we step into the story where Abram hears the voice of God. This is the first time we know of Abram hearing the voice of God. Abram would have known of God, of Yahweh, of Jehovah, of El Shaddai. He would have known of him as the God of his fathers, the God who was faithful to his ancestor, Adam, his ancestors, Enoch and Noah. And Shem and Terah, his father, he would have known of him, but he may not have known him personally. But in this moment, God steps in and he interrupts Abraham's story 
that he might invite Abraham into a greater story. And we read in Genesis chapter 12, verse 1 to 4, that God says, Now the Lord said to Abram, Go from your country and your kindred and your father's house to the land I will show you. I will make of you a great nation and I will bless you and make your name great so that you will be a blessing. I will bless those who bless you and him who dishonors you I will curse. And in you, all the families of the earth shall be blessed. So Abram went as the Lord had told him and Lot went with him. Abram was 75 years old when he departed from Haran. Now, in this moment, this seems like a really random story. It seems like it's come out of nowhere. And I would agree, as you're reading the Bible, there's not a lot of pretext to Abram other than the fact that he has been a descendant of Noah. But what we see in this moment is three things, friends, which teach us what it means to be a people of faith. The first thing is we see the call of God. We see the promise of God. And finally, we see the response of man or humanity. The call of God the promise of God, and the response of man. Through looking through these three lenses, I believe there's a challenge for us today, uh, how God wants us to live out our faith. The first thing we see is God call Abram. If you look into the first part, there's this part, God steps into Abram's story, says, Now the Lord said to Abram, Go from your country and your kindred and your father's house to the land that I will show you. Now let's pause there for a moment. This story takes a weird direction. Abram's living in a place called Ur, he doesn't have any children. He's 75 years old. Now, whilst they may have lived a little longer than us in all sense and effects, his life should be kind of winding down. Abram is not expecting to have children with his wife, Sarai. That, that, that time has passed. And suddenly, Jehovah, El Shaddai, God himself, rocks up into Abram's story and says, Now, listen, I want you to leave your family. I want you to leave everything you have and go to a place where you do not know. Do you notice how God doesn't tell Abram where he's going? Do you notice how God doesn't say, hey, let me give you the end destination? He says, hop up and leave and follow where I will show you. Why does God do this? Because here we see the call of God. And friends, faith always begins with the call of God. But I've very rarely found God give me a call for my life or reveal something to me in Scripture that reveals to me the end destination. Can I tell you why? Because we love to control the story. If you're an A-type leader here, this will frustrate you. You're thinking of Abram. You're going, well, how will he know what to pack? Well, how will he know where he's going to go? What if he hasn't planned? How's he going to know the maps? He's probably going to get it lost. And then Sarai, his wife, is going to get really frustrated with him for not knowing directions. He's going to like, well, how do you know where we're going? He's like, I don't know. And then they're going to fight. This is crazy. And it is crazy because God is not calling Abram to know where the story ends. He's calling Abram, as we say here at New Life, to trust the one who holds the pen. And this is the first essential step of faith, friends, is that God is calling you to active trust, not because you know how it ends, not because you know what happens, not because you know everything along the way. So how does Abram trust the call of God? Is he just meant to be frivolous and go, okay, well, a random God rocked up and told me to do this thing. I guess I'll go do it. How does God know God can be trusted? How does Abram know God can be trusted? Because the call of God is always, friends, connected to the promise of God. The call of God is always connected to a promise of God. And I've been searching Scripture. There might be one example out there, but I'm fairly sure this is biblically and scripturally accurate that God never makes a call of humanity without following it up with the promise of His faithfulness. God never makes a call, calling you into obedience without promising you and revealing. Why is this important? 
Because it is, it, it is to recognize that when we have a moment of faith, we're obeying the call of God, but we're called to trust the promise of God. In the next moment, what happens in this story is that God says to Abram, let me tell you what I'm going to do. If you follow me and walk with me, I will make you a great nation and I will bless you and I, I will make your name great. Not like those ba- the people of Babel who wanted to make their own name great. I will make your name great so that you will be a blessing. I will bless those who bless you and him who dishonors you, I will curse. And in you, all the families of the earth shall be blessed. The call of God, friends, and the promises of God are inseparable. There is never a call of God that is separate from a promise of God. Why? Because the way God calls Abram to trust him is he reveals his character to Abram, both through what he's calling him to do and what he will do for him in response. The way you know that we can have faith in God isn't by knowing what he is going to do, but trusting who God is. And the promises of God reveal the character and the plans of God. What's God saying to Abram here? Hey, leave everything and come follow me. But let me tell you what's going to happen if you do. I'm going to bless you. Not only will I bless you, but you'll be blessed to be a blessing. And the whole earth is going to be blessed because of your family. What do we find out about God in this moment? That God has favorites? That God has this way of going, well, I'm just going to care about Abram and no one else. No, what we find out about the character of God is he's saying, I have a plan, not just for Abram, not just for the people of Israel, not just for a select few, but through the people of Abram who will become the people of Israel, my heart and hope is that the whole world will be blessed. Do you hear the heart of God here? God is not calling a holy enclave of people who are insular by themselves off here in the corner, but of people who carry his heart and mission, who obey the call, trust the promise, and become a blessing. So I want to say something controversial today, friends. Do you know that God wants to bless you? Do you know that God wants to bless you? Now, some of you are like, ooh, I heard this in a church once, and it didn't go well. (laughs) They started talking about Ferraris, and I didn't get one, and I'm pretty upset. Some people are like, ah! What do we mean? When I say that God wants to bless you, what do you think? God wants to give you good health, no hardship, no struggle. Everything will be okay. If you know the story of Abraham, who becomes Abraham, you know that's anything but true. He has, he has family problems. He has issues with his kids. The whole thing blows. What does it mean by God blessing him? How is this faithful? Because the greatest blessing God offers to Abram is he says, you're going to be part of a greater story than just your own name. You're going to be part of something greater than yourself. And through you, your name will be made great because it's tied to my name. Friends, the blessing of God is not about monetary value. It's not about health as much as it's about walking the will and way in relationship with God, knowing that our lives matter eternally, not just temporarily. You are called to be blessed. Why? That you might be a blessing. You're called to be blessed with identity. You're called to be blessed with value. You're called to be blessed with worth and belonging and a home and a purpose and a mission that your life might bless the world around you. It is not wrong for Christians to say, I am blessed for we are and we should be. It is just not the way the world sees blessings play out. We are blessed because we are part of his family. We are blessed because we have called out of obscurity. We are blessed because we have a church. We are blessed because we have a purpose. Some of you are here today when I talk about God's promises. All your red flags go up and you're like, I can't sit here and listen to you say that God will fulfill his promises because he hasn't done it for me. And some of you hear the call of faith and you're like, I've been so disappointed. And I, I actually believe God has never broken a promise. God has never failed. So where did our disappointment come from? In my life, 
My disappointment in God has come from me holding him accountable for things he's never said or things I've misunderstood. Friends, there is not one example in the Bible where God has broken a promise. Not one. The reason why we have disappointment in God is because he is not the God of our making. He's not the God of our, our want, but he is the God who meets our need. And as you read through the Bible, we find that God's call and God's promise are always tied together that reveal his character. In 2 Chronicles chapter 7, verse 14, it says, If my people who are called by my name will humble themselves and pray, he calls them out and seek my face, what's he going to do? I will hear from heaven and heal their land. Matthew 11, verse 28 to 29, he calls, Come to me, O you who are weary with sin and burdened by the world. And he promises what? I will give you? So good. I will give you? I will give you rest. He calls again in Matthew 28, go into the world, make disciples. And guess what? I will be with you. John 1, 1 John 1 verse 9. If you confess your sin, he is faithful. If you, if you respond to the call of God to confess your sin, what will God do? He is faithful and just and will forgive us our sin and purify us from all unrighteousness. What promise has God not fulfilled that he has made in his word? He is sure, he is steadfast, and he's looking for a people who understand this, that faith is not a way that we work for the promise. Faith is a way we respond to the promise. Faith is not a way we earn the promise. Faith is a way we accept the promise. Friends, some of you here today have forgotten the promises of God and are walking in a diminished way in your life because you think your worldview is all meant to be on your effort. But part of faith is saying, God, what are you calling me to do? And what are you promising will happen in response? I will follow you. Friends, what does it look like for you to leap out of a plane at 25,000 feet knowing that the God you serve is a faithful net to catch you? Faith is a response to the call of God, is a trust in the presence of God, and faith is always obediently following in the steps of God. How do we know that Abram had faith? How do we know that Abram had faith? I'll go back. He went. He didn't listen. He didn't just hear. He didn't sit in a church. He didn't tattoo WWJD on his heart. On his heart. That's rough. He didn't listen to Juice, even though it's a great radio station. We should, you know, all these things are good. What did he do? He went. Faith isn't passive, it is active. And as I close today, I would just say this I believe God is stirring a new season at New Life, He's calling us out of spectator belief and into a realm of faith-filled believers. I believe God is asking you again, where is the adventure I have called you into? Faith is a verb, friends. It is a doing word. It is an action. It is trusting in the character of God, knowing how the story will end ultimately, whilst not knowing how ours will end temporarily. I believe today that every person in this room is called by God. Every person in this room and online right now has a promise from God. Why? Because the Word of God is filled with it. What's my individual calling? If you don't know, here's a really simple one. Go and make disciples. Go and make disciples. And He's going to be with you. Where is God? Hang on. God told you where He's going to be. Making disciples. 
When was the last time you took a leap of faith? I believe today that there is someone in this room who has a stirring on their heart of how God has called them. And they know that there's a promise connected to it, but you've been running. Some of you here today, the greatest step of faith you took, and I just want to celebrate that, was actually coming to church. I'll say thank you. Some of you today, coming to church is passive. And it's time. What will they say of new life? What will they say of you in years to come? Here is my hope. That when they write the story of this church, they don't say how, many, how much money was given, how, all these numbers. What they say is these words, that by faith, new life obeyed. By faith, Michael rocked up and loved people even when he didn't feel like it. By faith, Mary went to work tomorrow and stepped out and loved someone that God had put on her heart to love. By faith, I rang that family member that I'm angry at and I'm hurt at and I asked for forgiveness or I forgave. By faith, I stepped out of the boat and followed where God called me. By faith, I had three people for Alpha and I invited them even though I've had 20 people say no. By faith, I lean in in worship knowing my God will respond. By faith, friends, what story will they write of your life? Because by faith, we can obey a God who offers a call, trust a God who gives a promise, and follow a God who leads us into eternity. Because there is the greatest call ever that so many people in this world have responded to, so many people in this room has responded to. And I believe right now there is a call for someone in this room to respond to the initial invitation from God. See, the greatest call we respond to is not a call necessarily to go, but to first come. The greatest call of faith is the call that says, come to me, all you who are weary, and I want to give you rest. Come to me with your sin, calls God. Come to me with your shame. Come to me with your burden, and I will give you life. There's a call for people in this room today that God has said it is time for you to take the first step. It is not enough just to passively believe in God, but to actively put your faith in Him. Faith is not a work. It is a response to the promise of God that He loves you. That in 1 John 1 verse 9, we believe that when we confess and repent of our sins, He is faithful and just, will forgive our sins and cleanse us from all unrighteousness. Friends, there is a promise for you today that says this. You do not need to walk out of this room in the same way you walked in. There is freedom, there is redemption, and there is a hope. What is your faith in today? Is it time for us to take a step and follow Jesus? Would you close your eyes and stand with me? Would you stand and then close your eyes? Let's just bow our heads. Let's just wait on God right now. You know, the story of Abraham led to the people of Israel who God wanted to bless the nations through, but they failed, they fell short, as we all do. But there was a descendant of Abraham born to a virgin named Mary who would fulfill the promise. And his name was Jesus. His name is Jesus. And he calls to you today and said, some of you have been putting faith in everything but me. I've come to offer you life and life to the full. Do you want it today?
Do you long for it today? It's time to take a step. It's time to respond to my promise of forgiveness. And if that's you today, you want to make that response. If you want to take a step of faith, I'm going to ask you to take a step of faith. I just want you to raise your hand wherever you are in this room right now. Thank you so much for that courage. If you want to respond to the call of Jesus Christ right now, just raise your hand. Just keep your hand raised. I'm going to pray for you. Some section leaders, they're just going to, just me and section leaders are looking. We're just going to be out so we can pray for you after the service. Praise God. Praise God. Jesus, right now, there are hands raised right across this room. And we're joining with heaven as we are excited about the fact that you are calling your people home with a promise of redemption and forgiveness. If your hand is raised, all the Christians in the room are going to pray a prayer with you right now. I'm going to pray a prayer that's not magical, it's spiritual. I'd love you to repeat these words after me. If you're a believer, let's repeat it loud. Dear Jesus, we're sorry for falling away. We choose to follow you. Forgive our sin. We place our faith in you. Cleanse us, renew us, and give us life. In Jesus' name, amen. Father, we thank you for your goodness. We thank you for your love. We thank you that you right now are renewing and redeeming and restoring. That in the mighty name of Jesus Christ, you are calling and promising. And as people step out obediently, you are renewing. We praise God in Jesus' name for those who are coming home. In Jesus' mighty name, amen. Amen. Friends, people responded to the gospel of Jesus Christ this morning. I'm sorry, I, was, I thought I was in church. People responded to the gospel of Jesus Christ this morning. Some people are like, yeah, Michael, we made us do a survey, so whatever. Friends, God is good. So we're going to sing a song called Promises, and then we're going to do a tag called Come to the Altar. And in this moment, I'm going to call you out and say, hey, guess what? Maybe God's calling you. God's promising you. Is it time to take the step? Would you surrender this morning? And would you step out in faith? And after the service, we'll open up a time of prayer and worship. But let's lean in to the one who calls. Let's declare his promises together today. Let's sing.